All right, well, let's, let's jump in. So years ago, I was teaching a seminar, and the, the theme was about God's mercy for those in painful circumstances. And on one of the breaks, a woman found me, came up, greeted me, and she pushed this crumpled up piece of paper into my hands. And when I opened it, I saw that she had actually torn a blank page out of our seminar booklet, Sorrows Rise. On thee, when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee, I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. And as we jumped into 1 Samuel this week, we got a personal look at the life of another hurting woman who poured out her heart to the Lord, Hannah. She poured it out to the only refuge that she had. And so we're going to look at Hannah's distress, her cries to God, her response to God's response to her cries, because I think there's a lot that we can glean from her about how to be real, about our real deal, yet anchored in the unseen real, our Lord and Savior. So let's dig in. Right from the get-go in chapter one, we meet two least consistent source of harassment to Hannah. Then we meet Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who are priests of the Lord. Now, the book of 1 Samuel zooms in on the personal lives of people. Scripture does that all the time. Yet God's word is also faithful to zoom out, giving us the context for those personal lives. So in other words, the Bible explains the bigger picture of what God is up to in, in history, in the world, um, the bigger picture of how our lives even fit into what he's doing. And that is precious information for us, isn't it? Because it helps us to, it gives us wisdom to understand the circumstances of our lives, the context of when we're having suffering or in the midst of a season of joy, or we're in the midst of battles that we're, we are facing or decisions we need to make. So in First Samuel, that zoomed out view is really what Jan shared with us last week. Just by way of reminder, she shared how First Samuel happens at a time in the history of God's people when what? Everyone was doing right in their own eyes, and they were rejecting God as their holy king. Yet, we're going to see, we saw this this week, even in the midst of God's people rejecting him, God is still in control as Lord Almighty. So let's do a quick overview of our passage, and we're going to zoom in on Hannah a bit. First, with the circumstances of her suffering. Now, I've already mentioned a, a huge part of her suffering is that she's not been able to have a son because the Lord has closed her womb. And that closure not only prevents her from having children, but it also really prevents her from fully participating in God's plans for Israel, his covenant people who had been charged as they've been blessed to be a blessing to the nations, having children who would have children. That was kind of how it worked during that season of um, that history, that part of history with God's people. And I want to just say that I'm, I'm tender knowing that many of us in this room can resonate with this part of Hannah's story. We've not been able to have children for whatever reasons, 
So I want to just name that and, and remind us that God, our father is really tender towards us in that as well. But Hannah's suffering also includes Penina, the wife who was less loved, given less by her husband, and yet also antagonizes Hannah with bitter, shaming attacks year after year after year. But there's more. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, and Eli, who was a spiritual leader, they, at least in our section of this passage of the, of the book, they really miss her. They, they really miss her heart. There's mystery surrounding Hannah's circumstances, which scripture doesn't answer specifically. Why did God close her womb? Why did he allow Penina to be less loved and given less? Why was she permitted to, to harass Hannah for so long? We don't know. We don't know because those details have not, God did not uh, allow us to know those details in his word. But we know this. We know that what is revealed in scripture is what we need to know. That God is, in his purposes that he is fulfilling, he's going faithfully about accomplishing his plans. We see in scripture who he is, what his purposes are, and how he involves us in those purposes. And so that's always the case. And it's good for us to remember this when we don't understand what God is up to in our lives because he isn't revealing all the details to us. Why? A year ago yesterday, our beloved pastor, Jacob, a young husband and a young father, finished his life and went to heaven. Why? Did the recent and unexpected tornado plow through the path it did and not a quarter mile to the north or south? Why are you single and she's not? Why is your marriage flourishing and your friend's marriage is a painful disappointment? Why are your kids struggling and hers are flourishing? Why is your career soaring and one of your besties is struggling to make ends meet? Why does she seem to have such an easy Christian life and yours is just one battle after another? Why this? Why that? There's mystery, sisters, in the ways of God. And maybe like me, you've added distress to your life when you've insisted on, I've got to figure this out, rather than resting in, in God, who, who is mysterious, yet he is loving and in control. Now, how does Hannah respond to her circumstances? Well, she cries out to God for help. But I want to ask you to just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me that Netflix decides to produce a modern docudrama of this part of Hannah's life. You know, those kind of drama-ish, documentary-ish stories. Well, and I get tagged to play Hannah. Well, the director says, Ellen, we want you to play Hannah with whatever feels natural to you. We want to make Hannah more relatable, more accessible to the modern woman. And I say, all right, that sounds fun. That sounds easy. So zoom in, docudrama, scene one, chapter one, three to eight. Hannah is being provoked and verbally assaulted by the woman she has to share her husband with. Hannah, me, like I'm brokenhearted. Like I'm, I'm crushed. I mean, why has God closed my womb? I still have to celebrate the feast of the Lord while my co-wife harasses me. I'm slumped over. I'm in distress. But here comes my husband, Elkanah. He pops on the scene. Hey, babe, cheer up. I'm all you need, right? Modern Hannah looks up, wipes her makeup smeared face, 
looks at her husband and says, seriously, Elkana, what about my heart? How would you like to, how would you like it if you had to share me with a husband? Hannah doesn't respond that way. Scene two of the docudrama verses nine to 18. Hannah is just done with Penina's harassment. She gets up from that feast meal in Shiloh, throws down her napkin, gives Penina a side eye, and she goes where she must go, the tabernacle of the Lord. She's got to go to her refuge and pour out her heart. She's crying. She's seeking. Please, God, please look on me. Please give me a son. And she's so exhausted emotionally that the the cries of her heart eventually just can't get out of her mouth. So she's just mouthing them. Well, Eli spiritual leader sees her and makes some assumptions. Woman, stop acting like a crazy drunk. Shame on you. Once again, Hannah looks up, slowly turns, points her finger and says, you did not just say that to me. Do you know what your sons are doing in here? How's about this? Why don't you get your own family in order and back off? Oh, it feels so good, wouldn't it? Well, not actually. It it doesn't. And Hannah doesn't respond that way. Why? Well, she doesn't use her words to shame, to defend, to fight back. I think in part because she knows the Lord of hosts. Did you catch that in the text? Verse uh, chapter one, three, and then again, verse 11, God reveals himself as the Lord of hosts. And this is who Hannah cries out to in her prayer. Your Bible translation might say, Lord Almighty, Lord of the armies. What the Lord of the host means, this name of the God means, is that God is the mightiest warrior and holy judge over the universe who is always ready to intervene on behalf of his people. The Lord of hosts means that he's a mighty warrior and a holy judge who's always ready to intervene on behalf of his people. And and as a matter of fact, as we'll see in several weeks, this is the name that David calls out to when he faces. Goliath, another enemy giant who is taunting him. David says, you come to me with a sword and a javelin and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. So Hannah cries out to this mighty one. She says, Lord, look on my affliction and help. Now I've just zoomed in on Hannah. So I want to be quick to follow up and say that even as I've done that, our main goal today isn't to try to be like Hannah, even though she is a beautiful role model. And we're going to see more like Samuel, David, Jonathan, people that we have a lot to learn from. But when we study Bible characters, the the people that God includes in the scriptures, not counting Jesus, of course, but our response to these stories, I think is, should be kind of like when you're out in a parking lot or a park, or maybe in center city, and you see this little crowd of people and they're all gazing up into the sky. Have you ever had that happen? What do you do? You kind of stare at them and then you look up. You might stare at them, but eventually you're just going to be drawn upward. Similarly with Hannah and others and all the people that we're going to see in Samuel, we want to look at them, but let them draw our gaze upward to the one in whom was their ultimate hope, God. Because I tell you what, we will beat ourselves up trying to be a Hannah replacement. And good news, God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be like Christ. So how does God respond to Hannah? These cries for help. Chapter 119 tells us simply and beautifully, the Lord remembered Hannah. Through the gift of marital intimacy, 
it says that in due time, Hannah conceives and bears a son, Samuel. Now, when scripture says that the Lord remembered her, and actually when it says that the Lord remembers this person or remembers his people, it doesn't mean that he forgot that somehow the Lord of hosts is up in uh, the heavens ruling over the universe. And he hears this faint little cry coming from Shiloh. Like, what, what is that? Oh, oh, that's Hannah. I've, I've not thought about her in thousands of years. No, when the Bible says that God remembers, it indicates that he's about to take action. He's about to move. He's about to do something. And that's exactly what we see. The Lord remembered Hannah. He took action and allowed her modern minds, our mama's hearts to really understand what Elkanah and Hannah have agreed to here. But the text is clear that from a very young age, Samuel learned and served at the tabernacle under Eli's care. But Hannah has a second response, and that is a song of praise, which is what chapter two uh, describes for us. She praises God and she urges others to know and trust him. She's not speaking to this one person here. It might seem like, oh, is she kind of giving a side slam to Penina? That's not what's happening. The, The verbs are plural. She's effectively challenging all of God's people to bow before his awesome power, his holiness, and his sovereign lordship. Now, I want to take the last bit of our time and look at Hannah's song from two angles. I want to look at what does she praise the Lord for? And then secondly, how does she praise the Lord? So first, what does she praise him for? Well, she praises him actually for all of the themes that are in 1 Samuel. Some say that Hannah's song is like a table of contents for the rest of the book. But she praises him basically in summary for God's sovereign will and kingship over all the circumstances of this life. Once again, there's mystery here. Her song doesn't explain all the details of how, why, and what of God's sovereignty. But her word choices help us see that what matters most is knowing that God's hand is behind everything. This isn't happenstance. This isn't coincidence. Absolutely not this idea of luck. No, God's hand is behind everything. He's the one that brings surprising reversals. He's the one that upends circumstances. He's the one that causes the weak, barren, poor, insignificant, hungry, shamed, dead to become strong, wealthy, well-fed, honored, fruitful, alive people and vice versa. God's hand is behind all this. Hannah rejoices and praises the Lord, and she rejoices in the Lord, not in Samuel, first of all. This baby she prayed for that she's been given, he's not even specifically mentioned in this song. She celebrated him, of course, but she looks upward beyond Samuel to the giver. She doesn't know any of the details that we now know that we're going to be studying in the rest of this book about what's going to happen with this baby boy. Like, why did God give him to her? But she trusts. She trusts the Lord for the future. And that really leads us into this next thing of how does Hannah praise? How does she praise him? I want to suggest to you something that can maybe help you kind of tie it together. It's been helpful for me. The way she praises the Lord is she ties her present circumstances to God's faithful work in the past and what he's going to be faithful to do in the future. 
how does she do this? Well, the past through, through the, uh, the way that Hannah expresses her praise, it's obvious that she believes that God is eternally the same, that what she's experiencing now is what God's people have happened before her. And remember, at this point in biblical history, Hannah would have drawn on only the stories that had happened before her. Uh, stories of Noah in the ark, stories of God delivering his people from Egypt and the miracle of the Red Sea, the manna coming down in the desert of God causing the waters in the Jordan River to stop so his people could cross over. She would have heard the words of Moses and you hear echoes of Moses in Hannah's song. Listen, Exodus 15, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders, Deuteronomy 32. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to God, the rock. I wonder too, was Hannah thinking about her female ancestors like Ruth, another woman that faced challenging circumstances, or Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, women who were considered barren, yet conceived sons who were significant in God's plans for his people. God's work in Hannah's present also points her forward to the future. And this is also coming from other stories that she's heard about God having a future plan for his people. Her song closes out the end of chapter two with the very first reference in scripture to, or with the word anointed. It's a first reference of a Messiah or a savior and what the savior will do as king. And the commentators uh, note how there's a striking uh, resemblance between Hannah's song and Mary's song in Luke 1. When Mary has just been told she's going to a virgin, she's going to bear the son of the most high. So both of these women, by faith, had an awareness of what scripture had revealed and that God was at work in their lives now, even though they didn't understand how it was going to unfold, but Somehow what was happening to them now was a part of a future, a future um, fulfilling of God's plans. How can that help us today? How can that impact us in our circumstances today? Well, for starters, it's important for us to be here in Bible study or some form of studying the word so that we can really learn how to interpret our lives through the lens of scripture and how to interpret our lives now in light of God's past work and where all this is heading, that there's a bigger picture, sisters, than just September 29th, 2021. This is all going somewhere. Uh, One of the commentators, Davis, in his commentary says it this way, every time God lifts you out of a miry bog and sets your feet upon a rock, it's a sample or taste of the coming of the kingdom of God, the grand finale that will happen when Christ returns. I love that. Hannah looks beyond her present circumstances. And she actually says the close of her songs, futuristic, God will guard the feet of his faithful ones. He will thunder against his adversaries. He will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. So we can grow in recognizing, as Davis says, the tiny salvations that God gives to us. We can, we can recognize them as a gift for today, but also a taste of the full salvation that's coming when Jesus returns, when he's going to make all things right again. 
here's some tiny salvations that have happened in my life in the last five days. I went to the Phillies game Friday night wearing my St. Louis Cardinal shirt, which I hardly ever get to wear out here. I went with two good friends. It was a fun game. I had Chickie and Pete's crab fries with no guilt, um, laughter and good conversation, joy. Then my pride broke and I confessed an ugly sin to the Lord and a good friend. Shame, shame just melted away. I wept as grace was poured over my humiliation. Then I've been invited into a lot of painful trials of people that I I care about. And God has buoyed me up to carry and share these burdens. Peace. Then in the midst of a lot of other unfun responsibilities, I get to teach God's word this morning. Contentment. These are gifts for, for me to celebrate. And you have a lot in your lives as well but they're meant to lift my gaze upward, to not grasp onto these gifts now, but to let my gaze be lifted upward to the life that is to come when my joy, peace, and contentment will be pure and holy as I worship Jesus. These tiny salvations are meant to whet our appetite for the grand finale, the salvation that is to come, that is for all who find their refuge in Jesus. So sisters, How is the Lord of hosts seeking to get your attention? Maybe you resonate with Hannah in her distress, or maybe you resonate with Hannah in her joy, or maybe you resonate with Penina, who basically tries to be her own Lord of hosts, taking matters into her own hands and becoming pretty bitter. The sin that brought me shame that I mentioned, it came from a personal Penina moment when I was frustrated and impatient with how God was working out this situation. So I tried my my plan. God humbled me. He got my attention. And the reality is that you and me and Hannah and Penina, we're all much more alike than different. We all need the Lord of hosts. We all need rescue from outside of ourselves, whether if we are in distressing circumstances, facing our sinful heart or experiencing a broken heart. We have a savior and his name is Jesus. He is our refuge. And no matter what your heart posture is this morning, you're in distress and nobody knows it. You're embittered and you're mad at the life that you have. Or maybe you're actually in a season of joy, but secretly you are scared to death of when God might just yank it out. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I know for sure. Jesus is remembering you. He's taking action and Our first step is is to draw near to him with the needs that we have. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to close in prayer, but we're going to close in prayer as uh, Michelle comes and sings a prayer over us. She's going to sing that hymn, Dear Refuge of Our Weary Soul. And I want to invite you quietly, like Hannah, to listen and let these words be a prayer from your heart to the Lord. He is listening. And he is taking action. So let's pray.
you guys pray with me? Dear refuge of my weary soul, on me when sorrows rise, on me when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone canst I work and bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. But oh, I gloomy doubts prevail. I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet, gracious God, where shall I plead? Thou art my only trust. And still my soul would cleave to thee, though prostrate in the dust. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? Don't still the ear of sovereign grace, it tends the mourner's grill. Oh, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrows there. Thy mercy seat is open still, here let my soul retreat. With calm old hope attend thy will, and wait beneath thy feet. Thy mercy seat is open still. You let my soul retreat. With humble hope, attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Amen. You guys are dismissed to your groups. <laughs>